0: Today we're going to be looking at a message from Jeremiah the prophet, and I would ask that you either listen or open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29. We're going to look at verse 11, the famous verse that you see quoted all the time in churches and also in synagogues, uh, many different places when you have a Bible study. This verse tends to pop up over and over again. However, when you see this within the context of the original intent of what Jeremiah the prophet is speaking to the Jews in exile, it has a totally different meaning than the way that most people understand it. Alan is with me uh, today in this uh, studio podcast, and we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29. I did not forewarn Alan about what we're going to be looking at and reading and teaching today. So he's going to represent you all as we're going through this. And I love this verse, and I'm going to read it to you in verse 11, and then we're going to go back historically to the life and ministry of Jeremiah, what is happening in verse 11. And then we're going to look at the whole chapter of what is being said by this verse. This verse reads, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'll bless this time as we bring forth, as we attempt to bring forth your word. And God, I pray that you'll speak to lives today, and everything that we say will honor you and honor your word and let it accomplish what you want it to accomplish today, we pray in Yeshua's name. Amen. Amen. Alan, when we look at Jeremiah's ministry, it's 40 years. Isaiah, about 55 years before Jeremiah starts his ministry, ends his ministry, Isaiah's ministry is around 60 years. And about 55 years later, in 626 B.C., Jeremiah begins to prophesy. Some believe he's as young as 19 or 20 years of age. And as you go to chapter 1, God makes a clear understanding to him that I will put my words in your mouth, and what I tell you to say, you must say it. And Jeremiah was faithful to do that for 40 years. However, he wasn't a happy individual, because what he was preaching, people did not like. And what he was saying, uh, people rejected, even his own family his father, his brothers, his own home village, the city of Jerusalem, the priests that were at the temple, the, the nation of Judah, um, was rejecting the message that God was putting into his mouth, and he was faithful to speak the word of God. But no, not anybody wants to live a life of rejection, and people were not saying amen. People were not agreeing with him. You have a few individuals that were contemporaries, like the prophet Zephaniah, the prophet Habakkuk. You see these individuals that uh, are on the same page with him concerning what God is about to do. But Jeremiah is very specific about his prophecies. His prophecies, now at the beginning, let me go to the beginning. God is going to use him to break down and to build up. We're living in a world today in Christianity and the Western culture, it's all about building up. But sometimes you have to break down in order to build the right foundation, to build up people in the right way. And like we said in a in a message I think we had about a week or two ago when we were looking at the Lord is my shepherd, is that many times Think about this. When Paul says to Timothy, I want you to preach the word reprove, rebuke, and exhort, two of them are breaking down, one of them is building up. And in our culture today, we've taken out the reproving and the rebuking to such a minimal level that we do not want to offend people, to drive people away, that when we get to the encouragement, the building up, there's a wrong foundation that has been established in that person's life. When God spoke to Jeremiah, the prophet, that he's going to be a prophet to the nations, not just to Judah, but to the nations, plural, he is going to break down and he's going to build and to plant and to build. The first thing that Jeremiah does is, In his preaching is to break down the false understanding, the false prophets within the land, the false mentality that they had towards God and God's blessing upon their lives. And he's preaching a message of judgment that if you do not get your hearts right with God, and if you do not change your ways, because if your heart's not right, you'll never change your life. You can have the temple of the Lord, you can have the temple in Jerusalem, you can, have, you can name the name of God and you can praise God all day long, you can say amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord and think that God is with you. But Jeremiah is saying absolutely not. Do not think that God's protection and God's provision will be upon you. He will use a pagan nation like Babylon that will come and destroy you. And this is the message of Jeremiah. And so he started about 626 B.C., and it's going to end his prophecies around 586 B.C., 40 years in which everything that he preached about breaking down, but he also did preach about building up because he prophesied about a remnant that will come back and that God will do great things through their lives and they'll have the right mentality, the right heart, and live a life, live lives that are pleasing unto God. Forty years of preaching, ministering, and people rejected him over and over again. Now think about that, Alan. You're 40 years of age, and um, f- preaching for 40 years, and people not agreeing with you.
1: Yeah, that's got to be rough. I mean, you can imagine the the defeat you'd feel, you know. And and obviously, like you said, in in chapter one, you know, it's a very clear specific call from God personally to Jeremiah. So he knows it's of the Lord, but, but even so, I mean, that just has to be just constantly being, you know, opposed and, you know, Jeremiah, you know, if I remember correctly, he was, you know, put in jail and he was put in stocks and, you know, just everyone was trying to take his life. Um, The false prophets, you know, wanted him dead and just a, a constant running and fighting for 40 years would just be very, very taxing. There
0: wasn't a family in Judah that would give their daughter to marriage to him. His own father and brothers were plotting how to take his life. The famous passage in Jeremiah chapter 12, when he's crying and uh, doesn't even want to be alive again. And what God says in essence to him, quit your crying, quit being a crybaby, you're weeping, that if you cannot run with the footmen, how are you going to compete against the horses? If you fall down in the land of peace, how are you going to stand when the thicket of the Jordan, when it begins to swell? What God is actually saying to him is it's not going to get better. It's going to get worse. You have to become stronger in your faith and your determination to preach the word of God. And he did do that. He questioned Um, and Jeremiah, I believe it's chapter 15, the faithfulness of God. God rebukes him very strongly. He does find himself in a hole in the ground. He finds himself for 40 years under persecution because he's faithful to preach what God gave to him, and 40 years is a long time. We look back at it, and we think, we just say the number 40 years, 40 years and he never had a congregation of any size that agreed with him and that would support him. He didn't have people coming alongside of him. In fact, it, to get close to him would be uh, danger for your own self. It was a whole religious institution that was rising up against him false prophets and priesthoods, and the priesthood in Jerusalem that wanted to take his life. His own hometown was plotting against him. Now, when your father and your brothers are against you, that's a totally different dynamic if others are against you. But God tells Jeremiah, you will not be able to trust your own father and your brothers. They're plotting against you. So this is a miserable life when you think about it. I love what he says to him in Jeremiah chapter 15. To me, it's one of the most powerful messages about having a godly attitude that we'll probably preach about later on. He says to him, if you will learn to extract the precious from the worthless, then you can be my spokesperson. And what he is saying to Jeremiah, when you learn to Dig, when you extract, you have to dig all the dirt and pull away all the filthiness and all the dirt that is around you in order to get to the precious thing that you're looking for. When you can extract the precious from the worthless, when you can see the faithfulness of God in the midst of all of this dirt and debris and all this rubbish that is all around you, then I can use you and you can speak the word of God. And what he is saying, Jeremiah, don't put your eyes on the outward circumstances. See that I am faithful in your life when you are in the prison, when you are in a hole in the ground, when no one is willing to give their daughter to you in marriage because you're a disgrace to your own family and to your own village. In the midst of that is the faithfulness of God. And so it's a hard message And today in our culture, we want to have these easy, edifying, encouraging messages. But what if God comes to a person that's praying for something and God says, no, I'm not going to give it to you. I'm not going to take away your problems. In fact, you have to get tougher because it's going to get worse in your life. How would Christians today in America react to a person, a minister, a pastor, a prophet that would come and bring that type of message? They would probably say, I don't like this, and reject it. Yeah, and go find someone that would tell them the opposite. (laughs) Yes. I remember one time, and this is a true story, it was a church up in Louisville, Kentucky, that um, is not very sound in their teaching. And they always had this prophetic conference every year. And they would have the prophets go around the sanctuary and stand at different places, and you could go and get in a line and get your prophecy and so this one lady went through one of the lines, and she didn't like her prophecy. And she came back to the pastor and said, I didn't like what he prophesied over me. And the pastor said, that's okay, go to this one. He'll give you a good prophecy over here. <laughs> so she went over there and got the prophecy that she wanted. I don't really believe that there was much prophecy going on at all. And so here we, we live in a culture, we want something good to come to our lives, but there are time in our, times in our lives that God is going to give us a message that we do not understand, and we don't necessarily, necessarily like the message, but it's from God, and we need to trust God unconditionally with what God is saying. And this is going to be the whole context of Jeremiah's message to the Jews in exile. Now, Alan, let's talk about three exiles. He started prophesying in 626 BC, but in 605 BC to 606 BC, about 20 years later, the Babylonians are going to come in and they are going to warn the Jewish people and they're going to uh, put them under taxation and they're going to take some of the finest young people, the best minds in Jerusalem, in, Jerusalem, in Judea. And take them back to Babylon. They're going to take Daniel, Hananiah, Az- uh, Azariah, and uh, forget the, uh, Mikhael. They're going to take that we know as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They're going to take these four along with many others back to Babylon. And probably they're going to force them to be eunuchs. And, and if you read Daniel chapter 1, they are being over the overseer of them, or is the head of the eunuchs. And they're going to be put into the Babylonian government, and they're going to have to learn a new language and a new culture, and forced into a lifestyle that they never thought ever would happen to them. But these young men that were taken away, all that we know, they were youth, plural, that were taken away. And these young men who are coming from a culture of compromise are going to go into Babylon and they're going to live lives of conviction. And sometimes when we're taken out of the prosperity and the easiness of life and placed in a horrible situation where it's just you and God, these young men become some of the greatest young men of the Bible. Daniel becomes one of the most powerful men in all of the Babylonian Empire, and God uses him through many different kings, even going into the time of the Persians, the Medo-Persian Empire that comes in. So we see in 605, 606 B.C., the first deportation of young people into Babylon. And about nine years later, there's going to be a second deportation, That's going to include Ezekiel and about 10,000 Jewish people because they revolt again. The Babylonians come again, and this time there is a strong warning. He's going to take 10,000 Jews back to Babylon. However, when he takes them back to Babylon, he allows them to live in their own communities, and he allows them to live in their own faith, even to have their own law concerning their the, their religious laws in their own community as long as it did not come against the law of the Babylonians. But they're going to be able to live in their own communities in the cities in which uh, Nebuchadnezzar placed them. That is completely different than the Assyrian invasion in 721 B.C. with the northern kingdom, the kingdom of Israel. They're going to be forced to assimilate all over the Assyrian Empire, basically wiping out the tribal identities to, to, the, to some degree of every person that is taken out of the northern kingdom. But the southern kingdom, the Jews, which is Judah and Benjamin, and also Israelis that fled down into the southern kingdom, are going to be taken back into Babylon live in their own cities, in the cities in which they're placed, their own communities, and keep their own Jewish identity. And so in 597 B.C., 10,000 Jewish people are taken into exile into Babylon. One more deportation, the third strike. You had strike one, strike two, strike three. Now, if you're living overseas, you don't understand what I'm talking about. That's the game of baseball. The third strike, you're out. And the third rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar, he came in, destroyed everything in its path. Just like what Jeremiah prophesied, that God gave to him, it's going to be like a boiling pot of hot water from the north, and it's going to come through and destroy everything in Judah if you do not repent of your sins. And that's exactly what took place. And they marched them back to Babylon and Judah was destroyed. Some escaped into Egypt. In fact, the Jews that escaped into Egypt took Jeremiah, prisoner, and took him into Egypt. But the whole land is going to be destroyed. There were Jews that stayed there in hiding, and they rebuilt. But as a people, as a nation, Judah is destroyed. Judah is in exile in Babylon. Now, the second deportation is what we're dealing with here contextually, and that is in 597 B.C., and shortly after that, there's going to be a false prophet called Shemaiah, who's going to start prophesying that God's going to bring them back to Judah quickly, and Jeremiah is going to hear this, and is going to have to confront the false prophet and say, no, you're not coming back. And that is the whole context. Around five ninety-seven BC, Jeremiah's in Judah. He's writing to Jews in exile in Babylon. He's gonna write back to them to confront this false prophecy. Any comments or any questions about that, Alan?
1: No, I haven't haven't really thought of that. Um, in that context context, like you were saying, you know, you see this verse, you know, verse eleven especially. It's it's on a lot of plaques, you know, in the in the northern states, you see a lot of bumper stickers. Um, you know, it's it's printed on people's Bibles, you know, on the covers. And and it's always sort of a feel good, um, you know, just positive kind of, you know, the Lord has great plans for you. He has a future, a hope for you. Um, and that's the way, you know, it's always kind of been, been taught to me, um, you know, coming from different pastors and different teachings. So, yeah, very interested to see um, you know, where this goes and where, is it, where it leads, um, you know, in the context of him confronting this false prophet. And, you know, like you said, all this opposition is around him. Um, all of this is, is against him. Um, Yeah. And just, you know, and he's sitting here saying, you know, before I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope um, but yeah, just, yeah, it's kind of, I'm trying to think where you're going with this, but I have no idea, so i yeah. interested to see. It is a promise of God, verse 11. Uh, remember, there's
0: not any chapters or verses in the original. It is a promise, but is completely different than the way most people understand it. And so let's get to it. Let's start in verse 1. I'll read here. Now, these are the words of the letter which Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the rest of the elders of the exile, the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoaneah and the queen mother, the court officials, the princes of Judah and, Jeru- and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisha, the son of Shaphan, and, and Gamariah, the son of Hilkiah, and Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts. This is getting to the message of what Jeremiah is sending to them The God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That's very important. And a lot of people miss what God is saying through Jeremiah. Who sent them into exile? The Lord. This was God's doing. It was not King Nebuchadnezzar. This was not a mistake. This was the Lord's doing to send them into exile. Then this is what Jeremiah says in verse 5. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Now, this is going to go exactly opposite of what Shemiah, the false prophet, is telling the exiles. What he is telling them when we go down to the end of the chapter is that you're going to be coming home quickly. And we probably should read that at this point. Let me start reading in verse 24. To Shemiah, he's going to write and speak to him the dreamer, or the Nahalimite, you shall speak, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Because you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, and to Zephaniah the son of Messiah, the priest, and to all the priests, saying, The Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest to be the overseer in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies, to put him in the stocks and in the iron collar. Now then, why have you not rebuked Jeremiah from Anathoth, who prophesies to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, The exile will be long. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat there produce. So he's telling them, put Jeremiah in the stocks, lock him up, keep him from prophesying because of what? Because he's saying we're going to be here a long time. Mm-hmm. He's going exactly opposite of what Shemaiah is saying. Shemaiah is saying, no, we're going back. But Jeremiah is saying, we're going to stay here a long time. Let me read to the end of this chapter here. Zephaniah the priest read this letter to Jeremiah the prophet. Then came the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, saying, Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus saith the Lord concerning Shemaiah the Nahalimite, because Shemaiah has prophesied to you, although I did not send him, and he has made you trust in a lie. He is saying just the opposite of Jeremiah. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, Behold, I am about to punish Shemaiah, the Nahalamite, and his descendants. He will not have anyone living among this people, and he will not see the good that I'm about to do to my people, declares the Lord, because he has preached rebellion against the Lord, against the great I Am. When we prophesy, it's not a game. It's not something that we play around with like we see today within churches that come out of backgrounds where everybody just start prophesying. No, in the Old Covenant, according to the law, if what you prophesy, first of all, you have to prophesy in the name of the Lord. And secondly, if what you prophesy doesn't come true, you're to be killed,
1: That's how serious it is. Yeah, and I was was just looking back um, right above chapter 29 and 28. You know, there's Hananiah that, you know, if you read a few verses up, um, the Lord actually causes him to die um, because he he false, you know, prophesied. So that's Jeremiah's right in the middle of these two. You know, one actually dies. The other one now, you know, is getting his entire lineage wiped out. You know, no one's, he's not going to have any descendants. Um, Yeah, so it's very, very serious.
0: Yes, and that's, you brought that up. I, you know, both of my daughter's middle names are Hannah, Hannah. And then, so I was thinking of a middle name for my son. I'm thinking Hananiah, Hananiah. <laughs> Hananiah. The, the right and then when you come to uh, chapter 28 of Jeremiah, because there were some good Hananias,
1: mm-hmm.
0: But when I read chapter 28, said, N- not anyway am not going to name him Hananiah <laughs> after this false prophet. And so... Yes, the penalty, even if the people did not stone them, there was the judgment of God against them. And you think of the damage that people do when they prophesy falsely. Now in this new covenant and which we're, which we're living in, uh, the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth are realized through Jesus Christ, our Lord. We're not When someone prophesies falsely, we don't go out and stone them. The law judges them as a false prophet. We're here to bring the good news, the message of of forgiveness and the mercy and the grace of God. We don't go out and stone them. However, I'm going to say to them, don't prophesy again because you're a false prophet and that you treated it in a way that you could just give what you think should be said and you did not take seriously that once you say, thus saith the Lord, you better represent what God is saying and you did damage. And I have said that to people, don't prophesy again. I don't want to hear you prophesy again because you're not mature enough in order to prophesy. And if you ever bring a a prophecy in any context within the body of the Messiah, it needs to be judged by the word of God and what they prophesy needs to come true. And that's the reason why you get a lot of prophecies in which you can't hold them down to anything, and they're so general because if you get specific, like the prophets within the Bible do, then you will know if they're a false prophet or not. Mm -hmm. And so someone gets through prophesying, and I'll say, well, I'm not sure what that was, but you said a lot of things up in the clouds, and there's not anything that we can hold you accountable to, so we're just going to move on. And that really gets them upset. Yeah. So if a person prophesies, the word is a seer. God is showing them something in the future that's going to take place. And if you say, thus saith the Lord, it must come true. And if it doesn't come true, then we know that you do not speak from God. And so when we go to this chapter 29, you have a battle between Shemaiah and Jeremiah, saying two opposite things. And at the end of this chapter, he's going to bring judgment against Shemaiah because he's prophesying exactly opposite of what we're reading here. Let's go back to verse 5. Build houses and live in them and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become fathers of sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there and do not decrease seek the welfare of the city where i have sent you into exile and pray to the lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare so let me ask the question to you alan you're living in tennessee or let's take you up in to north dakota no, no, that's not that's not a good analogy. <laughs> You're living in Tennessee and an invading army comes down comes up from Florida. Invades Tennessee and destroys your home, takes everything from you, takes you and your family, takes you down to Florida and relocates you. What is your prayer to God at
1: that point? That he would Destroy the enemies of Florida and restore us back to our home, you know, back to Tennessee. Right. The prayer is, God, take us back
0: home. Yeah. And this is what Shemaiah is saying. Jeremiah, don't listen to him. Put him into prison for what he's saying because Jeremiah is saying, we're going to be here a long time. But Shemaiah is saying, no, God's going to restore us back to the land. Mm -hmm. And people gravitate to what they want to hear. But they better listen to the word of the Lord that's being spoken through Jeremiah, because we're dealing with life and death here. If Shemaiah is correct, and if they let's say this, if they listen to Shemaiah, and they get up in the middle of the night and they they flee from their city and they go back to the land of Judah and they make that long journey and they rebel against Babylon, they're probably saying, "Hey, we can go hide." In the cephala, we can go down to the Negev, we can go somewhere, but we're going back home. If they do that, in about 11 years, Babylon's going to come and destroy every single
1: thing in the land. Yeah, and if you have a, a, a so-called quote-unquote prophet telling you that, it kind of emboldens you. You know, you think, well, the Lord's going to protect us because this person is saying from the Lord that we should go back and reclaim what's ours and Yeah, it's really a false sense of of security. Um, Someone coming in the name of the Lord, telling them the wrong thing, it's very dangerous. It's like that
0: pastor saying, well, if you don't like that prophecy, go to this guy, he'll give you a good prophecy. Yeah, And that's basically what's going on. They're not wanting to listen to Jeremiah. And they're praying to God. The judgment of God came against 10,000 Jewish people, but they didn't really see that this was God's protection upon them. Mm -hmm. He's taking Judah out of the land and he's putting them in Babylon and God is showing them mercy because they're able to live in their own communities within Babylonian uh, cities and towns and villages. But what Jeremiah is saying, you're not coming home. In fact, most of them that are taken into Babylon, say you're you're 40 years of age, and you're taken in from Tennessee to Florida, they're going to be in exile for 70 years. You're not
1: going back home. Yeah, and I mean, that, that strikes me in what you mentioned earlier, just about Jeremiah's life and his 40 years of prophecy, where no one liked him, no one believed him, everyone wanted to kill him. Um, you know, I think in, in Western culture and in modern day Christianity, I think we think if we're not blessed or we're not You know, I'm not sure how to word it, but if things aren't good, somehow we're outside of the will of God. But, you know, through Jeremiah, the Lord's showing you, no, sometimes there are these rough times. Sometimes you need to quit being a crybaby. Sometimes, you know, his ways are higher than our ways. So if we're in a circumstance that may not be ideal or maybe from everything, Mm -hmm. you know worldview outlook, it looks like, you know, it's God and Alan. They're just in a bad place. You know, they're not in the will of God. I think that's immediately what mm-hmm. our mind shifts to, but that's not always the case. You know, the Lord knows what he's doing, and sometimes it's to protect you, and you know you may not see it, you know, until 20 years down the road. You may not see it until you get to eternity, um, mm-hmm. and, and, and you are with Jesus, and he shows you, but, you know, you can't always judge the circumstance and say, well, this isn't right because it's not what I had in mind or what was ideal or what I thought. And, yeah, that's, that's that's challenging for me because I think that you think something, well, this isn't going right or I'm struggling with this or this circumstance is, is really weighing heavy on me. I just don't feel good about it. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's tough. But sometimes that's God has you because he's putting you through his mm-hmm. training or he's working out a purpose that you just can't see, and that's when you have to trust right. him. And you said it with the right terminology,
0: His ways are higher than our ways. And when I said an unconditional faith and trust in God, there are times that we're at low points. There are 10,000 Jews in exile. Jerusalem is still intact. The temple is still there. They could never believe that God would allow these pagan Babylonians to come into Judah and destroy the temple of the Lord. They believe that God's going to take them back quickly. They gravitate to Shemaiah and others that are saying, No, God's going to restore us. We don't have to unpack our bags. We're not to build homes. We're not to stay here because God loves us. We are the people of God. God's not going to allow us to take residence here in Babylon. But that's exactly what God is doing. And his ways are higher than our ways. And they're going to have to trust Jeremiah that what he has prophesied, strike one, strike two, is we, they have seen the confirmation of God in what Jeremiah is saying, 605 B.C., 597 B.C. They have seen these things confirm the preaching of Jeremiah. It has not been confirming the false prophets, and so they better listen to the word of the Lord. And so pray for the city, for its welfare, its good, its prosperity, because the welfare of that city will become welfare for you. You better settle down and build homes. Give your sons in marriage. Give your daughters in marriage. What he is saying, embrace this city as your city, because what God does for this city will benefit you. And let's continue. Verse 9. For they... No, let's go to verse 8. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets who are in your midst and your diviners deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams which they dream. Now, they're coming and saying, I had a dream from God. And we say it with the idiom... Here in the West, they just had too much pizza. I mean, they're just (laughs) dreaming. It's their own dreams. They ate too much before they went to bed, and they had this dream, and it's not from God. They don't believe their dreams. Verse 9, For they prophesy falsely to you in my name. God is speaking through Jeremiah. And I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They do not represent the Lord. Verse 10, For thus saith the Lord, when 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good work to you to bring you back to this place. 70 years you're going to be there. And when he brings back after 70 years, it's only a remnant. A little bit more than 50,000 Jews are going to come back with Zerubbabel. And they're going to come back to the land. Almost every person that he is preaching to, prophesying to, most of them are not going back. They're going to die in Babylon. Verse 11, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and to give you a hope. Then you will call upon me and... Call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and will gather you from all the nations, or all nations, the Gentiles, and from all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from where I sent you into exile. So, when we talk about this verse, I'm going to put it in a contemporary context from the original context. You're going for a job interview, and someone begins to quote Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And they say, you're going to get that job and you're going to get that promotion and you're going to get this new house and God's going to bless you with a higher salary And they became, because they start quoting, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. And they quote that verse and really what they do not understand, this verse represents that what they're praying for and what they're believing God for, they're not going to receive from God. And they're going to have to trust God in this contemporary setting if they do not get the job promotion and the what they're praying for and what they're believing God for falls through and they're angry because they did not get that promotion or that job to understand that if you put it into God's hands, and if God closes that door, and if you do not get that, what you need to do is praise God. Thank you, God. I trust you, I put it into your hands. And if you don't want me to have this job or this promotion, I trust you with this. And God, I'm going to be content, and I just want to be faithful to you where I am in my life. So it's not getting an answer to your prayer. It's not going to God for things that you want and saying, God has to do this for me because God is on my side. And they began to quote, if God is for me, who can be against me? Do you know when they quote that from Romans chapter 8, that people that named the name of Christ are being slaughtered We don't know if it's by the hundreds or the thousands or the tens of thousands, but Paul says in that same context, we are like lambs led to the slaughter, being put to death all day long. There was a persecution going against believers who named the name of Yeshua the Messiah, who named the name of Jesus the Christ, and they were being slaughtered for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so... How can you quote that verse, if God is for me, who can be against me, thinking that you're going to get what you want within your life? No, there's not anything in all of creation, not even the sword, that can separate me from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What what Paul is saying, that even though we're being killed and persecuted, if God is for me, who can be against me? Because not even the sword can, has victory over the person that has faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. So it's not saying that God's going to deliver me from the trial that I'm going through, that means the victory that I have right now and the place where I am right now, I need to trust God with everything within my life because God has a plan for me. And it may be that I go th- to the lion's den. It may be that I'm thrown into the furnace And I love what these three Hebrew children say. They're they're Babylonians' names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They say, God will deliver us from the fire, but if he does not, Nebuchadnezzar, O king, we will not bow down to the statue. Now, that's true faith. That's true understanding of what it means to trust in God. And what God is saying through Jeremiah to the Jews in exile, you're not coming home. You have to trust God. You're going to stay there, and after 70 years, God will bring back the Jewish people to this land. And they're not going to get what they're
1: wanting in their lives. Wow, that's powerful. So this is almost a verse for, or or it is in this context, a verse for the Jews that are struggling with a disappointment, that are struggling with not getting the things that they, they think they were supposed to get and not having it have the outcome that they expected. And the Lord's saying, yes, this is a test. This is a struggle. It's not what you wanted, but the plans I have for you are good to give you a future. And and it's almost something that that he—it is something he brings to them when they're in a not in a great place. They're not in a great place where they think they should be. You know, they're exiled. You know, like me, I'd be down in Florida from Tennessee— it's not ideal, and it's not where I expected. It's not where they expected. Um, they expected God to keep them, protect them, the temple. You know, they had all these things going for them. Um, but it's very disappointing time for them. And it's not a not a prayer of this is going to be great in my life. This is all this is happening, and Lord, do it for me. It's no, you're going through this now, but the plans I have for you are are for prosperity, or hope, or for a future, not to give you calamity, but at this moment. You're going to have to go through this.
0: Right. And, and remember, again, we said it earlier, if they had gone back, snuck back to the land, they probably would have been wiped out and killed in yeah. 586 B.C. What God was doing, he's judging the Jewish people for their sin, sending them into exile, holding them in exile, keeping the Davidic kingdom alive for a day of restoration where he's going to bring them back into the land. When they come back into the land, they never struggle with idol worship again like they had before in the past. I think God really got their attention, but the Davidic line is going to come back and through them, the Messiah will come and establish the kingdom forever. And so this is so important in the plan of God, not just for them, but the bigger plan was God's salvation to the world. And so we have to trust God that God knows what he's doing. Think about the believers in Jerusalem when the persecution took place and people are thinking, where is God? God, how can this take place that uh, fathers are being put in prison and mothers and, and we have to run for our lives and leave everything? But that was God's way of getting the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria and then from there bringing it to the Gentiles. So We have to trust that God is in control at all times. This is what? This is, um, what's the date today? May 7th, probably, 2020. Mm -hmm. And the whole world has been shut down for some time, economically, or most of the world, because of a virus. There's a lot of politics going on. There's a lot of things that are involved in all of this. People are scared. People are living in fear. But as people that know God, God is in control. He's never stepped down from the throne. And we just trust Him. God, our lives are in your hands. Our, our, our well being is in your hands. And we live a life of contentment. God, we place everything into your hands. And God, use us for your glory. And this is the message of Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. And some of you have never heard it preached. From original intent. And this is not to discourage you. This is to build you up, to break down the false understanding of it, but to build you up in the right understanding that God's ways are always higher than our ways, and you never have to be afraid of the will of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Lord, let your word go forth, let it penetrate into the hearts and also into the minds of everyone that is listening. We trust you, God, with everything that we have, we give to you. In Yeshua's name we pray, amen.
1: Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM
0: or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.